Paul started with love when he makes this list. He starts with love, and that's really important because it is the most important. Everything really in Scripture, when you whittle it down, whittles down to love. It's what caused what we just sang for Christ to give his life upon the cross for you and for me. It was love that got Christ God to stand up off his throne, strip himself, and come here. It is love that allows us to be kind, to be faithful, to be gentle, to be all the rest of the things that are listed there. Everything boils down to love in the whole of Scripture. And I also said last week, though, that it's important that Paul ends with self-control. And we're going to get into that. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 11. I'm going to read it and then we're going to, we're going to dive into this. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. Peter writes and he says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control. I'm going to stop here real quick, because as we're going through these, you're going to see, I want to point out, and have you guys see, there's a few of these different fruit that we're going to see right here. So keep an eye open. Verse 6. In your knowledge, self-control, there's one. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful and true in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Amen, yes. This morning we're talking about, as you can see there at the top, the, the title, The Importance of Self-Control. I didn't grow up in the generations of years gone by. I grew up in my current generation, obviously. And in my current generation, we have these incredible tools called smartphones that allows me to access the internet basically anywhere I am. And therefore access my Facebook account, access my Twitter account, access my Instagram account, and it's a great thing. News, sports, all of it, it's at my fingertips all the time. I end up using it mostly to look at cat videos, but, no, just kidding, I don't. If I need cat videos, I just look down and my cats are doing something. But it's incredible because while it's great, it's also opened up a world of whatever the opposite of self-control is. You see, I can open up my phone. I can see that somebody posted that the Dallas Cowboys have a better quarterback than the Philadelphia Eagles. 
And I immediately get into a wrong, into a Twitter battle or a Facebook battle about how the Eagles have at least two quarterbacks on their roster that are better than their starting quarterback in Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, Super Bowl champions. And I lose all my self-control. Or I open up my thing, my phone, and I'm on Twitter, and I see somebody post something political I don't agree with. And oh, it's really easy just to send. Or I see somebody post something religious I don't agree with. And it's a whole lot easier to lose my self-control when I know that I don't have to face the person. When I know I don't have to deal with really any repercussions there in a come. I will probably never meet the person that I'm battling with on Twitter because they're from like Idaho or something. I don't know. But I do know that in my everyday life, when I'm talking to a person, it's a whole lot easier for me to keep my self-control. Now, I'm not here. This sermon is not going to be a bash on social media. I love my social media. I tell people the only reason I keep my Twitter is because I'm a huge sports fan and the beat writers for my favorite sports teams. I learned about injuries and trades and signings before everybody else because they just quick tweeted out, it's great. It's incredible, and it can be used, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, all these things, they can be used to glorify God in some incredible ways. But I also think that they're one of Satan's greatest accomplishments at times because of this very self-control issue that we innately have in us a lot of the time. It's just an everyday example of what we see. Now, maybe you're not as prevalent on the social media as I am, but I'm sure you see it and you know of it. So in case, I, I give you that illustration off the top because I want, I want us to understand how pervasive this issue is throughout the culture that we live in. I don't care if you're 15 or 95, you live in this culture in America today. And it's pervasive throughout the whole thing. So let's dive into this text and let's see why self-control is so important. So we're starting off in verses 3 and 4. And your first thing here is what we need for life and godliness. What we need for life and godliness. Peter writes and he says, seeing that his, and who is this he? He's talking of God. We see that in the first few verses there. Seeing that in God's divine power, he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Here's the first thing. Our reliance needs to be on him. I've said this countless times since I've been with you guys since late April. That our reliance, our ability, it all comes from him. And when we try to do it all on our own, we're going to fail. But I also love that he goes a little bit deeper here. Peter goes a little deeper here and he says, okay, so what is this granted ability? Through the true knowledge of him who called us. Now here's the thing. Peter is not referring to a head knowledge. Peter is not referring to somebody that would have known this whole thing. Peter is not referring to Saul. Peter is referring to Paul. Saul was the man who knew what we would consider the Old Testament or the law extremely well. And so did Paul, obviously, because they're the same person with one major switch. But he's referring to Paul 
Saul had all this head knowledge and yet despised and hated Christ until Christ got a hold of his life and he came to a true knowledge of him. Church, if we want to live a life of godliness, as it says there, it all starts with our knowledge of him. Now here's the thing. This is not going to be a salvation message, but I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment and talk about it because it's in the text. Church, you have, I have no hope of ever living a correct life if it doesn't start with the foundation of him. And here's the thing, church. I just talked about one of Satan's greatest accomplishments in social media. One of his other greatest accomplishments is letting you grow up in a Christian family in the church. Why do I say that? Because one of his greatest lies is telling you that you've done good enough. That you grew up in the church. That you grew up hearing the word of God. Maybe you had some incredible teachers from Sunday school to Sunday morning. Maybe you had incredible parents that were pouring Christ into you. Showing you his love. And so you convinced yourself you were part of the family. And you're not. Because your parents' faith doesn't save you. Your pastor's faith doesn't save you. Your Sunday school teacher's faith doesn't save you. Your friend's faith doesn't save you. The faith that saves you is your own in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning. If the Holy Spirit right now is just kind of nudging you. And he's saying, listen. You're not mine. You've got so much head knowledge. You know so much. It's great. But you're not mine and I want you to be please don't hesitate it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life it is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life and if you're confused or you're scared please come talk to me afterward by the way we have a trustees meeting afterward but I'm telling all the trustees right now if somebody comes up to me and wants to know Christ sorry go have the meeting without me this is a little more important There are other men and women in this building right now that I know know him. And if you want to know more, please approach them. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. First sermon done. On to the second. So he continues on in verse 4. And he says, For by these, this knowledge of God, of Christ, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Couple of things. First off, becoming a Christian does not mean you become part of God. That is not what Peter is saying there when it says you take part in the divine nature. Sorry. Yes, the Holy Spirit does come and live in you, but no part of you is God. I want to make that very clear. That's not what Peter's saying. But what he is saying, though, is that these promises, right, the promises of God in your life, the big promises, mainly that you're going to go spend eternity with him, is because of that saving knowledge, and you might become partakers of this divine nature, i.e., living in eternity with him. He says it right there, escaping the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, my guess is when I said the word lust, sexual sins kind of popped into your head. Because in our culture, in our world today, the word lust has that connotation to it. 
But to be frank, lust in and of itself, the word and what it basically means is not necessarily wrong. To lust means to desire after something strongly. So to be frank, if you are lusting after God, that's a good thing. Now, I would implore you and encourage you not to use that sentence when describing it to people because they're going to think of sexual sin. But that's not what Peter's referring to here. He's not referring to a sexual sin. He's referring to a lust to be God. Think back. The first two sins ever committed, first by Lucifer, was a desire to usurp God and be him, i.e. to lust after God in that way. And then the second sin, second and third if you want to count them as two, but Adam and Eve had a lust for knowledge that they should not have had in the Garden of Eden. It's by lust that this entire world became corrupted. And Peter says it right there. And because we are Christians, we get to escape that corruption one day. It might not be today. It obviously wasn't yesterday because you're still here. God doesn't make mistakes. But it'll happen. And because of that, he gives some instructions on how we're supposed to live. So that puts everything that we're going to talk about now back into context. Because you're a Christian and you will be saved from this corrupt world, live like this. Here you go. Number two, we need to make the effort. We need to make the effort. I'm not going to read all those verses there, but it says in the very beginning of verse 5, now for this very reason, what we just talked about, applying all diligence. If you remember five, ten minutes ago, however long ago it was, I said our reliance needs to be completely on God. And I stand by that statement. I will always stand by that statement. I also stand by the statement, however, that what you do is important. Think of it like this. When I was a kid, I always hated getting clothing for Christmas. It was the worst thing in the world. Mom, grandma, aunts, uncles, whoever, they're like, what do we get, Sam? Get him a shirt. What am I supposed to do with this? Wear it? Go to school that next month, everybody's like, oh, I got this, I got this. What did you get? I got a jumper. They gifted you this shirt. And it might be beautiful. Now that I'm older, by the way, I love getting like socks for Christmas. It's great because I never realized how expensive socks were until I had to buy them for myself. And then I was like, dang, Christmas is a good time. You get a whole new wardrobe at Christmas. I like it. But you got this great new shirt, a pair of shorts, whatever, a hat, and the person gives it to you. They've given you everything now that you need for that shirt. And you wad it up and throw it in the corner of your closet, never to be seen again until 10 years later when your mom demands that you clean out your bedroom because you're moving out and she needs to use that room for something else. I'm not harboring any bitterness. <laughs> I didn't use what was given to me. In that same way, God has given us everything that we need. 
Everything you need for godly living, everything you need to live a correct life. When we're walking in the spirit, right? We talked about that. He gives you these fruit, these different things to express. But here's the thing. You have a choice to use them or not. You have a choice to use what God has given you. Maybe he's gifted you with incredible abilities with music or art or an astute mind. I don't know, but he's gifted you different things. It's your choice to use them or not. And that's kind of where we're going with right here. There's work involved on our side. With all diligence, it implies an active, conscious choice. If you're diligent about something, it means you are constantly thinking about it, aware of it. It means it's at the forefront of your mind and you are working hard to make it come to pass. Now, we can be diligent about bad things and we can be diligent about good things. And Peter is saying, with all diligence, with everything that you have, every part of your being, mind, soul, body, strength, everything... In your faith, supply moral excellence. And we're going to see here, he gives a list. And, and like, I don't know why. I've never written like this, but the New Testament authors loved their, like, steps, step ladder lists. Paul did it. Peter did it. James did it. They're all like, what's the best way to get across a point? And I think they all were just sitting down, and they were like, make a list. That'll get them 2,000 years from now. That'll keep them going. So Peter makes a list, and he starts with, in your faith... In your faith in what? In your faith in Christ Jesus. Your faith that has saved you from the corruption of this world. So that's your first step. That's your base level. Moral excellence. And then after moral excellence, knowledge. Now here's the thing. You might be thinking, because I did the first time I read this, shouldn't those two be switched? Shouldn't you have knowledge before you have moral excellence? No. You shouldn't. Because what Peter is saying is, do the little things right. What you know is right, do it. Start with those things. You know it's wrong to steal. Okay, don't do that. You know it's right to give. Okay, I should do that. You know it's right to be kind to people. All right, I should do that. This innate thing that's in all of us that tells us right from wrong, it's called a conscience. Follow that. And you'll get, start getting those little things right. And as you get those little things right, God supplies more knowledge to you for the bigger things. God starts building your knowledge base so that it's not a question. I always wondered, uh, not always wondered, but often wondered at times about how I'd be sitting trying to desperately make a decision. And I call my dad and he goes, well, it's obviously And I'm like, how did you know that? I've been struggling with this for two weeks, trying to figure out what's the right answer. What is the right thing to do? My dad has far more knowledge than I do. He's lived much longer than I have, has experienced much more of life than I have, has done the right things far longer than I have, and so God has blessed him with more and more knowledge. And I'm sure we all have people in our lives that are like that. So he continues on, and in your knowledge... Here's the big one. Self-control. Church, I don't care how much you know. I know for a fact there are many people in this room that are more intelligent than me. But if you don't have self-control, your knowledge means nothing. 
It does no good to know that it's not right to get drunk every Friday night if you don't have the self-control not to do it. It means nothing to know, have a knowledge that you should be kind to somebody if you don't have the self-control in that moment when they've said this terrible thing about your quarterbacks that you will never meet and you don't know them and they mean actually nothing to you personally if you don't have the self-control not to say something stupid. Self-control is in that middle because it it supersedes kind of everything. That sounds kind of oxymoronic, but it's because you can't, you can't choose the right thing unless you know what the right thing is. And then you can't do the right thing unless you have self-control. And then Peter continues on and he goes, in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance is just self-control on steroids. It means that time and time and time and time again, you have self-control in a situation. And so they had to come up with a word for that. Perseverance. It means that in those hard moments, you've had self-control so many times that to be frank, it gets a little easier. Because you know what the right thing to do is. And you look at a situation and you go, that's nothing on what happened three weeks ago. I can do this one. And in your perseverance, godliness, and then godliness turns to brotherly kindness, and then brotherly kindness to love. See, church, when you persevere, when you have self-control through moment after moment after moment, your life begins to change. It can be very difficult in the beginning to have that self-control because it flies in the face of your sin nature, of my sin nature. But eventually, you come just to shake it off. A lot of you guys knew me when I was in my formative teenage years. I was an angry son of a gun. I flew off a handle at the littlest thing. We're not even talking about sports. I was just angry all the time. And all it took to set me off was somebody looking at me the wrong way. Some of the shouting matches I have been in in my life would frighten you. Because even at 14 years old, I knew how to use my anger for my own good. Uh, I, I know some of you know my sister Christina. She and I are very similar personalities, and we went at it. And my dad would, would talk to me, and he'd be like, when I was your age, I was the same way. Angry at the world, at everything. You've got to learn to control it. You've got to learn. You're going into ministry. You've got to figure this out. Trust me, everything gets easier once you figure this out. Church, I'm here to tell you, I still am an angry person. I will probably always have an angry disposition about life. I'm all right with that. But over the past, oh, 10 years... I've slowly made the decision to not be angry at certain things. And I'll tell you who it started with was my sister, Christina. See, we both knew how to press each other's buttons, and we both loved to press each other's buttons. My dad used to say about Christina, and it was true about me as well, we weren't happy unless somebody or ourselves was angry. 
But I had to make the choice to have self-control in the situations when she would press the buttons. And I remember the month, I can't remember the day, but the month that it truly changed. It was my last year at youth camp. So the summer before I went to college. And I finally had a God experience, if you want to call it that. I was a Christian already, but at camp. And I came home, and nothing Christina did affected me. Now, the high mountain that I was on wore off, and I had to make the choices not to get as angry anymore, but it became easier and easier until it came to the point where there are very few things that truly anger me. Your, your whole personality at times kind of changes when you constantly make the choice over and over and over and over again until it really doesn't become a choice anymore. It becomes second nature. But I promise you, it doesn't become that second nature unless you're relying on God to help make that change in you. You make the choice, and then you rely on a power that is far greater than your own to make it happen. So why? Why do this stuff? Why make the effort? Because it's a hard effort. You could totally put your time and energy and thought and process everything into something else. Why do this? Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to make a difference? You want to have a testimony that reaches the people around you? Have self-control. In the cashier, in the, in the checkout aisle, when the person in front of you is being a jerk to this poor 15-year-old, 16-year-old cashier, and she just wants to go home, have the self-control not to get upset with her when she messes something up and has to redo it. When you're out at a restaurant and your waiter or waitress doesn't bring the right thing or what have you. Now, I'm not saying don't say, hey, listen, I ordered a rare steak and you gave it to me charred. But I am saying, how you word it, your tone, everything like that, check it. Because you don't know how hard a day she's had, or he's had, or how hard a day the cook has had in the back, or the manager's having. Your self-control makes a difference. And we have all been called, not all of us have been called into full-time ministry, like a pastor or a missionary or something like that, but we have all, however, been called into ministry. The moment that you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Great Commission becomes your Great Commission. Go into the world. Okay? Talk about Christ. Show Him. It becomes yours. And if you want to be productive, your two words there, by the way, are ineffective and unproductive. If you want to be effective to people, if you want to be productive in this world for what truly matters, you need to exercise that self-control and gain that perseverance through it. I'm not necessarily talking about in your job. Maybe you're an accountant and you're right. Your self-control, well, maybe it will. If you're constantly getting angry, people aren't going to want to come and talk to you. That's a big problem. But I'm talking about the real job you've been given as a Christian. To show Christ. 
And here's the scary thing. I mentioned it up there. In verse 9, he says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Your be there. We can forget that we've been cleansed. Now hear me. I want to make this very clear. I am not saying you lose your salvation. That is not at all what I am saying. What I am saying, though, is that while we're walking down that path, it's very easy to stray already. But if we don't have our self-control, straying off of it isn't just easy. It's like somebody put a roadblock in front of us and we have to veer off. And you veer off enough times or you veer enough far enough and you forget what God did for you. You forget what he went through for you and for me and that you are saved. It allows Satan to whisper in your ear, you're not good enough. It allows Satan to whisper lies in your ears. Yeah, maybe you're a Christian, but you're a drunk. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're lustful. You're angry. You see, when you're walking down this road of self-control and that keeps you on the straight and narrow, you can look at him and say, no, I'm a child of the one true king. But when you've walked off that road, you don't have that protection anymore. You are still a child of the one true king, but you don't have that protection that you're walking. And you start to believe the lies. And though, yes, you might be going to heaven, Satan has completely obliterated your entire testimony because you veered off. So what? Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, again, there's that word, to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Here's the thing. We need to confirm our faith by godly living. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about faith, and it's great, but then we looked at James real quick at the end there and talked about how faith without works is dead. Here's one of the biggest reasons why you need to keep doing things. Because it's a constant reminder of who you belong to. It's a constant reminder of who you belong to. If you are constantly striving to do the right thing, what's your reasoning? Because I'm trying to become more Christ-like. I'm trying to be more like him. You're going to fail. It'll happen. I don't want to say it's okay. It's never okay to sin. But when I say it's okay, I mean, it's all right. God forgives, and you get back up, and you keep going. But it reminds you of who you belong to. And when Peter here says, for those, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Here's something I want to point out to you guys. As a Christian, you have the power to never sin again. Notice I'm not saying you won't ever sin again, because we do still have a sin nature. But what I am saying is, as a Christian, you have the power to never sin again because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And if you are constantly relying on him, you won't sin because he's not going to lead you down a path of sin. And what Peter is saying here is, if you perfectly walk this path of self-control in your life, of persevering, you won't sin. You won't stumble. I love it. I forget, which, I forget which, what the chapter and verse is now. But he says, if you sin, 
he is faithful to forgive. I love that it doesn't say when you sin. It says if you sin, he is faithful to forgive. Church, I want to encourage us this morning. We talked all about these, these past two months, two plus months, about the fruit of the Spirit. And we started with love and we're ending with self-control. Because while everything boils down to love, the rest of those things are pretty much impossible to do without self-control. If you don't have self-control, you're not going to be kind or loving or joyful or peaceful or good. I know I'm missing a couple. That's all right. I could sing the song. That's how I have them memorized. There's a little dance that goes along with it too. Um, It's a good thing we're not live streaming. Um, (laughs) Speaking of social media, without self-control, you can't do those other things. Everything boils down to love, and that makes it the most important. But you're not going to love people truly unless you have self-control in your life. So your homework this week. Ask God, what's the one area in your life that you need self-control over the most? Because my guess is there's more than one. I talked about my anger. Trust me, there's a whole lot more that God's still... We're still working on the anger thing. It'll probably be a lifelong process. But there's still a lot more that God goes, well, you need a little self-control here. We're here. We're here. We'll work on it. Ask God, what is the one area of my life that I need self-control the most? He'll let you know. And then when he lets you know, ask him for the ability to have that self-control. Now, here's the thing. It's a lot like patience. The only way to gain patience is to be in situations where you have to have patience. It's like working out a muscle. Your muscles don't get stronger unless you put some stress on them. So when you ask for this self-control, the only way to gain it is to be put in situations where you have to have it. I'm sorry, but I didn't make the rules. Don't try to find a way around them either. You won't. But ask him for the ability to have that self-control in those situations and start small. Start small and start building upward. Maybe, like I said, it's in the checkout aisle or at a restaurant. Maybe you constantly go to the same restaurant over and over and over again and the waiters and waitresses there know you and you walk in and they're like, hey, you want your usual? Yeah. Maybe show a little self-control there if something goes wrong. I don't know. Just an example. Church, I hope that over these past two plus months, we together have gained more knowledge as to what Paul was talking about when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit and why it's so important that we live that sort of life. My mom and I and my dad and a few others, we've been working on a, on a logo for the church, on a slogan for the church, all this kind of stuff to help bring more people through the doors. But as much as we do, we've got some awesome stuff that we're thinking about doing at Christmas and things like that. We've got plans, but I'm telling you right now, church, that if you and I don't actively practice these things we've talked about, it doesn't matter how great our program is. They won't come through the doors. You won't be a light. We won't be a light in this community. So my hope and my prayer is that we have been encouraged and that we have been a little bit convicted 
maybe a lot convicted. I have been. And let's strive to live that life, to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you that you, you, give us the, you give us these lists of things in the Bible. You know, I kind of poked fun at it a little bit. But it does lay things out so incredibly easy for us to understand what you want us to do. How you want us to live. Who you want us to be. God, I pray right now for myself and for everyone in this room. Everyone downstairs or in the toddler room. That you would help us with our self-control. God, that you would help us with our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. God, that you would give us examples and opportunities in our lives to practice everything and that we wouldn't rely on ourselves, but that we would diligently rely on you. Father, we praise you. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.